0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Security Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Allen. This week, I spoke with Andrea Lombago, Chief Social Scientist at Endgame. In this podcast episode, we'll be talking about the multidisciplinary nature of defense, the importance of considering audience expertise level when sharing security directives, and how broadening our definition of what it means to be a defender benefits us all. Enjoy the show. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, today we're going to talk about the multidisciplinary nature of defense. Let's start with a brief introduction. How did you begin working in security?
1: You know, that's a great question. and uh, It was a very circuitous route, um, which I think a lot of people actually do getting into security. My background, actually, I have a PhD in political science, and so I focus a lot on uh, doing quantitative analyses of, of international conflict. And so I Went from academia to the Department of Defense and did a lot of computational social science there and then took one job briefly after that. And while I was there, uh, a colleague of mine at Endgame said they needed someone you know, within the company that could write fairly well and could understand data analytics um, and some of the national security implications of everything going on in the domain. And so I went and um, it seemed like a great company and some really exciting work to do. And I was uh, pretty excited to learn more about security.
0: Great, and your role at Endgame now as chief social scientist, what does that look like? What does that entail?
1: Yeah, that, it entails a lot of different things. Um, because we're a startup, we all wear about twenty different hats. But uh, part of my job is working on the geopolitical aspects of what's going on in the world today. Um, everything, writing about everything from the evolution of norms to the integration of uh, you know, cyber attacks with the uh, disinformation, those kind of things. Um, so I do a lot in, in that area, and then other part of my time, I, I run our blog and do the technical editing of our blog. And so I work very closely with our multidisciplinary team of data scientists, reverse engineers, uh, vulnerabilities and exploitation experts, and some of the product managers is really across the different subsets of disciplines within the company. And we bring all those different blog topics together. So I work with each of them pretty closely helping run that and get a good rhythm on that with our production.
0: Interesting. It sounds really engaging and fascinating.
1: I think so, especially right now with so much going on, there's uh, always something to be researching
0: and writing about. For sure. Well, today our topic is the multidisciplinary nature of defense. So let's start at the beginning by defining what you mean when you say the multidisciplinary nature of defense.
1: Yeah, so when I when I think about it, you know, very often when I especially when I before I came into the security, I noticed that I really thought it was basically a computer science domain and that was about it that you didn't have a background in that area. You know, there really wasn't as much you know, to, to provide for relevance, and I actually you know, that was one of my questions when I was interviewing was, you know, why would you need someone like me? And that actually now is a question I get all the time. And so what you know, as as I've been in the industry for several years, I've noticed more and more just the need for all these different disciplines going on. And then you know, our R and D team alone you know, with a data scientist to help handle the the data aspect of it, and just the the data deluge that's that's going on. Uh, there's the the user interface aspect where so many of the Products that are out there just aren't user friendly. Both from more of a vendor perspective, but then even just thinking about security on, like your Gmail and, and you know social media and so forth. There's just all these different aspects of the user interface and human computer interaction. And then you have, of course, the expertise from people, anything from hackers to other kinds of experts and defenders. All that insight can come together to help inform a more more resilient defense. And and just in the way you think about it, even you think about some of the economics and psychology of it all. Especially when you think about the insider threat, which has been in the news. So uh, it's really something that I wish more people would think about it in a a broader perspective. I think that would actually help attract a lot more people into the industry as well, which we desperately need right now.
0: Well, you just touched on one point of this, um, but I'm curious why it's so important that we think about security as a multidisciplinary approach. And you just mentioned hiring. You sort of touched upon some of the other points, but I'd love to know from a very explicit standpoint, why is it so important that we consider it multidisciplinary? Right. Well, I
1: think... uh, for me, as a you know, quantitative you know, analytic thinker, um, the, the first part, like my brain automatically goes to think about the data problem. Um, there's so much different data that's out there, There's so, you know, and it comes, the diversity of it, the dynamicism of it, it's very different formats. And so it requires people with a strong data science background to actually understand how to bring it all together, to integrate it based on unique identifiers, and find different ways to... Both validate and invalidate what may or may not be relevant, and that that's just only one component. That's even just making the data a bit more accessible um, for various kinds of analytics. But the, that alone doesn't you know, isn't enough. Yeah, you know, there's big push. Actually, I see this a lot in in the security right now. you know, basically saying you, know, you can push this button, and you know AI will solve everything. And that's not quite true either. So I don't want to. You know, whenever I see those kind of uh, sort of you know, big marketing branding, I I, feel, you know, I kind of cringe at that as well because the domain expertise is really really necessary still. And so you yeah, have got a data scientists on the one hand, the domain experts on the other to provide insight as to you know, what data is most relevant for them to help guide what kind of workflows are required. Very often I saw this a lot when I was in the Department of Defense with just working with engineers that you know, engineers who don't necessarily work within the analytic workflow may provide something that's you know, really useful to how they think about doing the workflow, but doesn't match with how analysts and operators actually need to do the work. And so they may provide a solution that actually doesn't fit with the problem set and the workflow um, or the operational pace, all the different kind of constraints that the analysts and operators work on. Um, and I think that's really true across different realms of security. And so getting that workflow right is really, really important. And getting the data right is really important. So the domain experts are really great with that. And then again, more of the user experience and the, um, the human computer interaction, just making sure it's something that's intuitive to use, you know, especially in security where you know really, your seconds and sub seconds matter so much as far as, you know how much the hackers can get once they're in uh, that if analysts and operators are kind of just you know muddling around within the interface and have no idea how to get to where they're supposed to go or if they have to memorize some you know crazy proprietary scripting language that uh, may not be in here, you know, natural to them all those things slow down the ability for them to do their job and so by bringing all these different aspects together the designers and data scientists and domain experts and you know even I, i'd argue even social scientists understand what kind of um Different kind of questions to ask with you know across the data. Bring all that together really can help optimize the workflow and just get analysts and operators faster to what they needed to get done. And I think that that's what's really the important thing there. It's one of those things where you think we get, where it helps ensure that the tools and capabilities that the analysts and operators are using actually is aug- augmenting their capabilities as opposed to being a hindrance. And there are definitely times where I've seen both in the in security defense and other kinds of um, defense areas where the tools actually make the analyst and operator's jobs harder. And um, you know, security is not immune to that happening either. And, the goal, and that's obviously you know, orthogonal to the actual goal of why would why do all these things and create technologies.
0: Interesting. I think part of what you're touching on here is that a lot of times we see security teams be so separated, perhaps, from some of the other disciplines, whether it be data or user experience, um, and the fact that there's a lot of benefits to everyone involved if we stop thinking of it as a separate entity.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, even the you know, additional benefits. If you start thinking about, you know, within organizations, you know, on the one hand, you know, the resources are obviously very limited, and so you may only have uh, one or two people, depending on the various sides of the or- organization. But they can't be, you know, they shouldn't be thinking about your know, security being only their objective. You know, it's really the enterprise-wide uh, objective. So even within more of a you know enterprise organizational chart, having the security operators being more interconnected with you know, even aspects like HR and marketing to help a uh, broaden awareness of what needs to be done within the enterprise and so it really has to be you know crossing over these all these different organizational and and disciplinary stovepipes really make defense much more resilient and the you know, interesting thing another aspect of it is just even thinking about your security and privacy as well and helping defend and, and preserve some of the data you know, again you are you need some people who either legally you know have, you bring lawyers, having the, the the legal aspect brought in as well to help ensure that certain data is, is maintained and protected is you know, yet another layer that I think a lot of people just don't think about.
0: So we're seeing more conversation about security being not only the responsibility of security teams, but of everyone. And we just touched upon that briefly. Um, this This conversation is really timely. In fact, it's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And the theme for this week is Cybersecurity in the Workplace is Everyone's Business. That touches upon this concept of a multidisciplinary approach. In many organizations right now, they're still trying to sort out what this means. How are most organizations doing currently at making security everyone's business?
1: Yeah, I, I think we're still at a point where uh, security, the, the amount of, of seriousness in... Um, prioritization that goes to security right now is really all over the charts. I think it would be hard to generalize how organizations in general are doing. We see some that have been taking it seriously and continue to take it seriously for quite some time. Um, I think a lot of the financial services goal you know, would fall in that area, uh, I, more so, even more so explicitly, more like the banks. Yeah, as, we, as we've seen, there are major targets. But when I look at and talk to some people who either are in smaller businesses or are in areas um, you think about like campaigns or universities and students. Uh, I, I really see a broad range of, of how much people have started adopting it into their their workplace culture. And so it's it's really interesting that you know given all the different breaches that have come out, there's still a lot of people that may or may not understand our a lot of organizations why they may or may not be uh, a target. And so I think we're getting there, you know, I think it's a little bit of an education and it's, it for sure is a cultural shift that has to go on. So I think in some cases we're getting there where it is becoming everyone's business. But even, you know, I was talking to someone the other day who had to do their security awareness training because that's what you know, they do that during this month. And you know, oftentimes it's something where you just kind of click through it and and you can complete the card at the end and, and that's it. And that's really not effective. And so we need to think beyond all of that. And actually that's where you, some of the some social science work can come into play is how to how to uh, instigate cultural change. And I think that happens abs- that's absolutely relevant within the workplace as well. Because it is, it's a rethinking of all these different aspects of it. And even more so, you know, with you know, increasingly where we're seeing social media as being an additional vector, it's not just the, the phishing and um, other kinds of technical, you know, exploiting vulnerabilities, but also through social media as another attack vector. That alone has to change people's behavior, especially how they're accessing social media, if they are at all, uh, on their workplace computer. So, you know, it's always evolving. It's a, almost a moving target for keeping. Corporations, you know, as safe as they can be, uh, but still, I think there's a long way to go. in, in many cases, I think there's still just great variety in and how much different companies are are understanding the the severity of the threat and the necessity to prioritize security.
0: That makes a tremendous amount of sense. I feel like what I see a lot of the time is we've reached a point where there's a lot of awareness around this. People seem to understand and they nod their heads along when you say, "Yes, it should be everyone's responsibility. Different people within an organization do all have some sort of role in the ultimate security posture of your organization." But where that seems to break down in a lot of these conversations is, "What does that actually mean for my organization? How do I actually get beyond just the concept that this is important and move it into actual practical steps?"
1: Right. And that's, you know, I almost wish we would have some sort of a PSA, uh, you know, marketing about all the different aspects of security. I think something like that would be just really, really useful and important right now. I know that, you know, if because those of us who live and breathe in security, we do see these things all the time, but I'm still very much coming across people that are outside of our industry who still don't really understand two factor authentication, not, don't really know why that is helpful for them. And it's really some of the basics and these are very, very smart people. And that's, you know, part of the challenge is that I think we as an industry haven't done a phenomenal job branching out and talking uh, in more common language about the various aspects and steps they can take. And that's where I, I think some of the awareness just really, people know that they need to be secure, but they really don't know what the key steps are. And I know, especially this month, there are going to be hundreds of, here's the top thing you know 10 things you need to do to be secure. But for the most part, a lot of us are the ones reading them. They're not always making their way into the actual target audience. And so it needs to be, does still need to become more of a mainstream concern. And in addition, making it easy to do is the, is the other aspect of it. Um, you know that that everyone sort of sees how the the convenience versus security um, trade off. And for a lot of people, you know, convenience still is what matters most. so it's it is it's really hard to sort of to switch the incentive structure within people to understand that doing all these you know, additional steps truly is worth the you know, return on investment for their time. And you know, for us in the industry, if we can make it as easy as possible, um, I think that will help as well. And so, um, I almost would think within organizations to do you know pushes, especially during this month, but you know in general for various steps in making sure that or, that people and their employees are staying secure. And I go back to sort of the, the social media aspect. I mean, we saw you know, an article out in the past few weeks about leveraging you know fake LinkedIn pro- personas, and I, I still feel like the, the different kind of means that 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 the attackers are using doesn't necessarily make its way into you know, corporate training. I think the social media aspect of it is really interesting for embedding that within the larger training. So just even having, having sort of the themes like that with an organization throughout this month, I think would be really helpful. And make sure it's not something that's just click through that you don't have to read and, and that you can then just sign off on. Um, it really should be something that is more proactive uh, and ensures that people actually have to have a coherent understanding of, of the risks and the benefits for what they're doing.
0: That's really interesting. It makes sense to see this dynamic where convenience versus security is a trade off, and a lot of people might say, "Sure, I know that maybe this isn't secure, or I know that this is a security thing." But a lot of times, I don't think they always pull that from their personal life into the professional either. Um, they have a very different stance.
1: Right, and, that, and that's exactly, it. and that's even you know, I've talked to some people where you know they understand that on their work, you know, on their work computer and their work email, they do one thing, but then they don't. Do the same behavior on their personal, you know, email and personal computers, and then you have to start talking through and explain. Well, your personal email also is, you know, an attack vector into, you know, and you know, into various kinds of access. And so, you know, some of the more high-profile breaches over the last few years, you know, some of them have been through personal email accounts. And so, it's really you know, ensuring that people understand that, you know, that their, their personal you know, online behavior and their professional online behavior um, both are means for compromise.
0: That's interesting as well, because we could see perhaps corporations who are thinking in terms of security for the, their workforce, that there's perhaps a return on investment in making their employees more secure in general, just outside of their work, uh, you know, accounts as well.
1: It is. And that's, you know, for you know, corporations, you know, that could be a nice added benefit or perk they provide for their employees, you know, how to stay safe both at home and at work. I think you have special people with families, you know that all that knowledge probably help them out a lot as far as family security and you know, and making sure their kids are safe online as well. So you anyway, it's one of those things where I, I feel it can't be done enough if it's done well. If, again, if it becomes one of those things where you know it's one of those training aspects where it is just you know someone can take five minutes and be done with it, then you know, that that's just not worth the time. So it really needs to be something that it becomes ingrained within within the way that uh, the employees behave.
0: Interesting. So from a social scientist perspective, how do you see that we could do a better job of educating people?
1: Uh, you know, I still, I, I think that uh, security still is really, um, most of the, the articles and documents um, that I see are really meant for talking with, with to each other. And so I think we really need to start thinking, and, I, and this is starting to shift, so I'll, I think that it's trending in the right direction. But I still think that so many of the articles along these lines are just written for people who understand security. And so they, they make a lot of assumptions that, you know, various things are already understood that may not be even very you know, common terminology like phishing or two-factor authentication isn't known by everyone outside of the industry, even though, you know, we live and breathe the stuff and hear it all the time. And think, oh, everyone must know what the, these words mean. Not everyone does. And again, and it's not because they're not intelligent. And I still, I think there, there's a little bit of that as well. A little bit of arrogance, just assuming that, well, if you don't understand this, it's, you know, it's you know, they are you know, they just don't understand how to use a computer well and they're not smart enough. And I think we need to really move past that and help ensure that you know, everything that we're saying is really written in common language. And it becomes really hard. And that's actually where some good editors who aren't in security can come in and, and, and help You know, basically just highlight what needs to be defined and, and so forth. I, I had an article I wrote a little while ago, uh, more in the national security realm. And the editor did just that for me. I was already starting to use a lot of the jargon that I'm used to all the time, and you know, they basically made me spell out in plain English what, what these terms meant, and that was really a very useful exercise, and I think that'd be a useful thing for you know, a lot of organizations to have just to make sure that what, you know, what the different terms mean, what these different steps to take are, really walking through how to do them and why it matters, and, and I think that if we can really stress the, the benefits to the individuals, I think that's going to be the key when they start realizing that you know, the security over, you know, is paramount to convenience. Um, again, but again, it's making it as easy as possible as well. Also, is helpful. So, I think those are sort of the, you know, that the divide in communication. I think really is something that that we should focus on, um, and then making everything easier for people who are not necessarily within the industry.
0: Both of those points are so important. You talked about accessibility, um, thinking in terms of who your audience is. Another classic editor note. Um, Wearing my editor hat here, but making things accessible to your audience, thinking about who you're speaking to. And this affects any sort of communication. But when we're talking about security and we're saying not a lot of pickup from the user base, it's just that much more important to make things accessible to your audience. Yeah, agreed. You also talked about considering user experience and trying to make security easier. Ultimately, I think if we're going to see a shift, and security, it's going to require that we consider those, those things. And we see people be able to use two-factor authentication without it being complicated or beyond their experience level.
1: Right. And you know, it's one of those things where I feel like in a lot of the other you know, tech-focused industries, user experience has been around for a while. You know, it's it's you know, making things simple that used to be complex has really been one of the comparative advantages for a lot of different companies in various industries. And we see that a ton elsewhere in the tech world. But I feel like security has been a little slower to a, a, a evolve and adopt more of a um, user experience mindset. And I do start seeing, I, th- I think that's starting to change. We have a great user experience team. And you know, part of that is going out and doing research and figuring out what the workflows are, uh, and then figuring out how to translate that into more of a intuitive user interface that really provides much greater capabilities than what people previously had. And so I, I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of that. I think we're, we're sort of getting at a tipping point there where it has to happen. I mean, if we look at the the workplace shortage, we really need to, to bring more people in. We need to make a lot more of these tools accessible for a broader range of people.
0: You just mentioned that there's a well-documented lack of qualified security professionals and to meet the needs of today's organizations that we need to find different ways to bring people in. Um, How does this multidisciplinary approach perhaps play into that? Yeah, I I
1: think it, on on the one, actually, I think a couple of different ways. I think it can help us first start looking more broadly at what skill sets are similar in other areas that can then be applied within security. Um, That's where data science, I think, is for me is the most natural, where you think about our data science team has people from a variety of different backgrounds, not all necessarily from security. And you know, understanding how to deal with big data and munge the data and make data pipelines, you know, something that is a problem that is in many, many different industries and many different disciplines. And so bringing in p- people that have those background in, in that area, they might be able to bring some insights that we have not, you know, that people with that are already in the industry may not have thought of. And so whenever you bring in people from the other industries, you also can bring in creative and innovative solutions. And so it'll help in that way. It'll help with the, you know, making those kind of skill sets more uh,
0: available. Those are both fantastic points. Uh, To bring in other skill sets means that we not only gain extra sets of hands that will help fill some of those open positions that are so crucial to security. And as you said, also bring in new ideas, which clearly we need some new ideas in this space as well. There are things that we're getting better at every day, but certainly borrowing from other disciplines is helpful.
1: Yeah, no, I think it, it definitely is as far as the innovation can be concerned. And then I think also as far as just making security be something that is, is more appealing to a broader audience. And I, what I mean, I, I think security also just has the, the sort of the branding problem. And I, I've, I've asked, you know, I go and talk to you know, students and ask them when they think about you know, security and, and cybersecurity and hacking, what do they think of? And it's always the, the guy in a dark hoodie. And that alone, I think, is limiting people from getting excited about entering the workforce. Because obviously, you know, the, the discipline in the industry is much broader than that. And so if we can work even you know marketing campaigns that show other kinds of of stock photos, right? Like that, that's how we can start getting more and more people interested and more qualified people coming into the industry is just by piquing the interest to a from to a broader range of, of students and um, and skill sets from other disciplines. Because it is, I mean, it's one of the most crucial missions that's out there there is you know, first to strengthen our defenses. And by bringing in the different people, you both can you can innovate. Um, if we Change the way that the the you know the branding of security goes on right now. We can more people become more interested, so ha- that helps with the pipeline. And then even you know one of the other challenges that we see as far as you know on the pipeline is that so many of our job our, our job descriptions still are written so specific for having you know, twenty years of this and ten years of that, and sometimes are and sometimes those languages don't haven't even existed for that long. And so even you know, in more of the social science and human evaluations that have gone on and, uh, for job descriptions, making them a little bit. More accessible, not lowering the bar, but just looking at the skill sets and the kind of capabilities that you want people to have, knowing that there's some other things that can take you know, that can be taught. I think that alone would also help mitigate some of the pain as far as the the, the skill gap and the shortage, and while at the same time also bringing in some really interesting uh, and innovative ideas from other disciplines.
0: I really like your idea of sort of. Rebranding security, uh, we see this so frequently. You say security, cybersecurity. You say hacker to someone, and they have this really clear idea of what the stereotype is. And it's fascinating to think about the fact that that could be affecting who would even apply for a position in security.
1: Right, you know, and I and I really I think that it does. I mean, it's not it's not the you know, the only issue, but by just making you know, workplace environments by making the the, the branding out there. Be more uh, open for other groups. I also think you know, that I think also would allow people to better own their own personal security as well, because it wouldn't make it seem so much the dark arts. You know, it is. It, it gets back into sort of the you know, demystifying the nature of what goes on in security. You know, it's not all magic. Other people can do it, um, and it's not just the you know the the hooded guy in in his basement. And in fact, that's not necessarily the norm at all. And that's why you know that's it's great that I think increasingly we're seeing more and more diverse representation within within the community. And we just need to keep pushing that to make sure that that continues because I think that's really going to be essential going forward to attracting people from different disciplines and different backgrounds into the industry.
0: I love that idea, Andrea. So I know that you joined us last year for Riley Security. You spoke at the event. Thank you.
1: I had a great time. It was a one of my favorite conferences.
0: Ah, oh, wonderful. Well, uh, we're excited to have you joining us again this year at the conference. I'd love to know what aspects of the conference you're most excited about.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there are a couple of things. And one, I just I really liked just the the atmosphere last year. It really was extremely inclusive, extremely rigorous, um, and just it brought in a lot of different topics that I I don't necessarily always see at other conferences. And so I really like the focus on on defense as well because one. By doing that, that actually inherently brought in some really interesting talks, as far as uh, some you know anything from interface design to data science um, to workplace issues to you know more of the, the traditional um, malware prevention and so forth. And so I love the diverse range of topics that were there. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the atmosphere. And then um, I have uh, two colleagues of mine are also going to be presenting this year for their first time at O'Reilly Security. So I'm really excited to see Bobby and Rich talk about uh, their, their chatbots and how they're leveraging that technology and interface to make the workflow a lot easier for analysts and, and operators. So I'm excited to see them excel at the conference as well.
0: We're looking forward to their talk and all of the others as well. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me on the Aurelia Security Podcast. Oh, uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for listening. You can reach Andrea on Twitter at Lumbago A If you like the show, remember to subscribe to the O'Reilly Security Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.